Hi, this is Scott Miller, author of Master Mentors, Volume 2, and you're listening to My Quest for the Best with Bill Ringel. Listen up, small business founders, senior managers, and rising stars. Bill Ringel here, host of My Quest for the Best, the podcast for ambitious small business leaders. On each episode, I bring you the inside stories from published and accomplished experts who want to share their knowledge and experiences in order to help you be more successful in leading your people, managing your business, and navigating toward more growth and more impact in a changing and challenging landscape. Let's dive in. Joining me today on episode 410 is Scott Jeffrey Miller. Scott Miller is a highly sought after speaker, author, and podcast host. He's a Wall Street Journal best-selling author and currently serves as Franklin Covey's senior advisor on thought leadership. Prior to this advisor role, Scott was a 25-year Franklin Covey associate serving as the chief marketing officer and executive vice president. He hosts On Leadership with Scott Miller, the world's largest weekly leadership podcast should definitely check that out. This is Scott's second appearance on My Quest for the Best as he graciously came on for episode 400 to mark that milestone, which I appreciate personally so much. Scott lives in Salt Lake City, Utah, and is here to talk about his book, Master Mentors, Volume 2, 30 Transformative Insights from Our Greatest Minds. Welcome, Scott. Bill, you graciously invited me to come back on, so I'm honored to be here. Thank you again for the platform and the spotlight on my newest release, the second book in the 10-volume series by HarperCollins called Master Mentors, based on the leadership podcast that I'm privileged to host, now the world's largest weekly leadership podcast. And so delighted to be here today. It's great to have you. You come across so many people with so many ideas for wisdom. You work in a thought leadership company, Franklin Covey. Tell me, Scott, what is a quote that guides your work life today? There's two, can I share two? One, I think is this idea of life happens for you, not to you. I hear that from so many successful guests on the podcast, living your life through the lens of life happens for you and not to you, right? Sometimes a disappointment turns into an appointment. And if you live your life through that lens, you're going to have so much more opportunity and so much more momentum. The second would be this idea of also not living your life to the lens of I have to or I ought to, but rather, Bill, I get to take out the garbage. I get to fly to Croatia today for a 45-minute keynote and come back in two days. I get to take out the garbage or have a high-courage conversation with someone. I get to terminate someone because that's going to send them on their way to a much better opportunity. I love this idea of living your life not through the lens of I have to or I ought to, but every task through the lens of I get to do this. Doesn't it make a difference in just how you approach everything in your life once you start to filter it through I get to, in terms of your gratitude, in terms of how much you reflect on things, in terms of just your willingness to interact with people. When you share this with others, have you noticed a difference like that? Because you and I do it, and yes, it takes us to another level. But when you see it with others, are you able to observe that as well once they really embrace embrace and adopt that attitude. Bill, I'll be honest. Most of my life is in 45-minute increments. Whether I'm in a podcast or flying into a city, I'll be honest. My joy and my job is to fly in and give keynotes around the world. And so I can't say that I'm able to linger around and see the impact. I can feel it in the room. There's no question it's had an impact on me. I'm a I'm an avid proponent of life is 10% what happens to you and 90% how you react to it, including trauma and tragedy and death and setbacks. I've been very fortunate to have a lot of trauma or tragedy in my life. Lost my father two months ago. My wife lost her father two weeks ago. And it's certainly been disheartening and to some extent traumatic. But I've also been thinking about, so what am I going to focus on? What memories am I going to choose to remember? 
And what joy am I going to choose to pick and leave the bad and keep the good? I hope it has an impact on people. But like I said, most of my time in life, unless it's my dear close friends or associates, is flying in for an hour and flying out for an hour. So I hope the legacy that I'm leaving is sharing the ideas from the people in the books that I write about and highlight and the podcasts that I host. I've, quite frankly, Bill, never had an original thought in my life. I'm an aggregator. I'm a synthesizer. I'm a pollinator. I sit in a very privileged position of hosting this podcast and having spent my three-decade career in thought leadership, meeting some of the biggest minds in the world. And I can see my job as just being a little bit of an escalator, an elevator, putting their stuff in, hitting it to the top floor, or bringing it to the bottom floor and have others benefit from it. Family is an area where we do have a chance to see the impact that we have. And you recently returned from a family vacation to Italy this summer. Have you been before? Many times. Remember, I was single up until I was 41 years old. So I went to Italy every year for 16 years as a single guy who was well-employed, right? I went a lot. My wife and I honeymooned in Italy. That would have been about 13 years ago with my first trip back. I have three young boys that are in private school. That's my Italy money. I haven't been back to Italy in 13 years. You went about a decade ago. So this was the first trip back. And also, as you traveling abroad with small children is three car seats and three cribs and three strollers and it's 17 bags when you pull up to the Air France counter. My oldest was thir- no 12, my youngest was eight, so they could carry their own bags this year. We had a glorious vacation that I'm still paying for two months later. We went, we flew into Rome and spent about 10 days down on the Amalfi Coast. It was wonderful. We laughed. We drank Coca-Cola, which my boys aren't allowed to drink here in the U.S. We consumed vast amounts of champagne and Prosecco. We ate more pizza than we wanted to. It was a fantastic time to reconnect with no agenda. I think in 10 days, we had one appointment, which was a tour, one time. Otherwise, it was just do what you want. And we bought every Pokemon card for sale on the Amalfi Coast. There are no Pokemon cards left anywhere in Amalfi. We know the one-man reason for the supply chain problem of Pokemon (laughs) cards. Miller time game. (laughs) When I was there, I also remember how glad I was that my son Nicholas could wear his backpack with all his clothes and his gear was in the backpack and it was almost his full size. But he carried that around like a champ, especially when we're traipsing through and over bridges through Venice. It was just finding a hotel was such a chore coming off the train. Yes, I've been there. I've been there. Fortunately for us, did you backpack through Europe? No. No, okay. We just did a few cities. We mortgaged the home and we had drivers (laughs) drive us everywhere and we had porters take our luggage. We didn't mortgage the home. I saved. My boys think it's normal for a guy to come out in a suit and put your luggage in the back of a Mercedes. We had a fun rule on the trip. You can buy anything you want. We had a great, crazy trip. Literally, they could buy whatever they wanted to for 10 days. We came home the next day. My youngest son wanted to go to Target because he wanted to buy a little like laser gun. I said, oh no, that's over. That was the last 10 days. This is like nothing till Christmas time. And they were stunned. Back to reality, boys. <laughs> when I travel, I always come back not only with souvenirs and great experiences. I always think of gelato at the top of my list of taste experiences there. But the new perspectives that I come back with, energy and focus. Do you find that as well? What's an idea to that you came back with that gave you a new perspective on your business or personal life? Bill, I am asked this question frequently about life balance, right? And some people will think there's no such thing as life balance, but I interviewed the famous author and entrepreneur, Jillian Michaels. You probably know her as the exercise nutritionist fitness coach right on My Biggest Loser, become a friend of mine. And she said in work-life balance, if you will, she said, you can have it all. You just can't have it all at the same time. She taught me this concept of 
of seasons of your life, right? Seasons of balance, seasons of imbalance. For me, that 10 days, I did not work once. I didn't write a column for any magazine. I did no podcast. I didn't write any chapters in the four books that I owe publishers coming out in the next two years. I did not work once. I wrote a little bit on the flight back, but we just relaxed. For me, it was an intense period of relaxation, not checking my email. I took a couple of emails. I took a couple of calls, but they were just team members. But for the most part, I tried to demonstrate to my team back in the US, take your vacation, take your time. I will not bug you on your vacation. If there's an emergency, I'll call you. But other than that, I will resist. So for me, it was really about checking out for 10 days. I left in the hot seat. I came back to the hot seat. I came back the day and had seven podcast interviews the next day. But for me, it was living my life with these ideas of seasons, seasons of balance, seasons of imbalance, coming back to balance. Love it. Let's talk about master mentors. How do you define a mentor? And what elevates someone to the status of master mentor? Delighted you posed that question because I think too often we tend to constrict the concept of a mentor, right? The CEO up in the C-suite or the CFO, whoever it is your company might have matched you with. And that's true and it's great. And there's an absolute role for that kind of mentor. But I also think we can broaden the role of mentor to be that of really anybody that's wise in our realm that we can learn from. I'll tell you, I haven't met most of my mentors. Most of my mentors don't even know I am alive. It might be people whose books I read religiously. There's conferences I go to because they're speaking or podcasts or TV programs or radio programs that I listen to. I would really redefine the role of mentor as someone in your life who either has taken your path or been on your journey, or maybe they haven't. Or maybe they've had wild success or significant failures and you can learn from them. I don't think you have to be meeting every Thursday at two o'clock via Zoom or Teams or in their office to have someone be a mentor to you. Some of my biggest mentors I've never met. That's true. And it's you being proactive and saying, there's something that they know how to do or something they've gained that I want to learn or I want to adopt or bring into my life. And you could just make that choice. Or to your point also, something they've done wrong, a mistake they've made. I think a lot of people make the mistake of when they're trying to build a mentor in their life or a coach, they go after the person who's had the biggest success. And I tend to do the opposite. I tend to go out, if I want to find out how to have a 30-year marriage, I'll talk to the person who's had three marriages. If I want to figure out how to become a wildly successful entrepreneur, I'll go to the woman or the guy that's had three bankruptcies. Because most likely, I can't replicate your genius, your education, your personality, your good looks. I don't have your trust fund. But what I can do is I can learn from your mistakes and metaphorically walk around that pothole. Half of life, half of success is just avoiding all the pitfalls that others have shown you don't do this. That's right. Sometimes we can leverage other people's money if they invest in our business, but we can all leverage OPE, other people's experiences. I love that. OPE. There you go. Now, last time on the show, we talked about Bruce Williams, the Florida financial expert and talk show host yes. whose voice and knowledge you soaked up each night for years. Yes. You've described how Dr. Stephen M. Covey took you under his wing yeah. and taught you so much. Yeah. What was one of the first times that you reached out for one of those typical mentor relationships that we think of where it wasn't just a quick question or spot feedback, but you wanted to learn, you had the opportunity to establish a relationship. What was that like to do that with a person rather than just from the work that they've left behind or the story of their life that you read? I've done that on numerous occasions. Most of my friends are 10, 15, 20 years my elder. Even in my 20s, I was very smart. I practiced a principle I call friending up. 
Some people are insulted by that, but I've always friended up. It might be friending up in age, in wisdom, in longevity, <laughs> in education, right? All of us who have married up can relate yes, to that exactly. instantly. But to that point, I've <laughs> always friended up. From my very early 20s, I was always befriending my professors in college, right? To learn from them because I didn't think I had a whole lot to learn from people my age. Maybe how to have fun. I had that in spades. I didn't need to learn how to have fun. I can think of countless examples to this day how I'm still friending up. When some people hear that, they think, oh, you're just opportunistic. No, you're selling me short. I've just been very strategic in making sure that the people in my life are smarter, wiser, more educated, more successful, or have more experience than I do. There's countless examples of how I've built that into my life. And I think people are friending up to me. That does not mean that I don't help somebody that might need a lift up. Um, I don't befriend people for what they can do for me. I oftentimes friend people for what I can learn from them. And I'm comfortable standing by that. A point of whether people would think of that as opportunistic. Yes. More interestingly is the idea that it takes a degree of humility to say, this is where I am, and they know more. They have characteristics I don't have. Yeah. It, it takes that self-awareness and also humility to say, I deliberately, intentionally want to create this relationship because it's going to be beneficial. Do you also think about how you can give something back to them or do you just learn and know that there's going to be opportunities for you to give back from what you learn and acquire from that relationship? Yes and yes. Let's be very clear. I'm very transparent about what I want to learn from you. There is not a 60-year-old successful millionaire in town that wants to be my friend unless they think I have something to offer them or they think that I'm worth investing in. And the fact of the matter is, all these people, I've been able to benefit them later in life, right? Whether it be 15 years later, they call me up and say, hey, how do I operate Microsoft Teams? Or I want to launch a podcast. What kind of microphone do I buy? Or I want to write a book. Scott, can you introduce me to a publisher? Or Scott, I now own this company. Will you come keynote for it? Yes, and I'll waive my fee and it's free for you because of all you did for me. So I hope that in every situation, there's been great reciprocity. I'm confident there has. I was very clear on my intentions. Now, let's be clear. I wasn't going out picking people to befriend because of what they could do for me. I think I proved myself that I could offer them the chance to invest in someone. And maybe I was watching their car. Maybe I was mowing their lawn. Maybe I was taking their kid to high school football practice because I had an afternoon open or whatever it was. In every case, I think they would come back to you and say, Scott has given me as much or more than I gave him. And I was proud to invest in him because he's still around and he's still in my life. I was not opportunistic only. I was very much of a reciprocal mindset. It's not transactional. You give me an hour of this, I'll give you an hour of that. It's just open because I think that I relate to you in that sense because that's how I am. I can help people. If I can help you, please ask because I really want to know. It gives me pleasure to help others and vice versa. It's just an open transaction it's rather what, than It's what Dr. Tax. Stephen R. Covey, who founded the Franklin Covey Company, called an abundance mentality versus a scarcity mentality, an abundance mindset versus a scarce mindset. I think it's been a key differentiator for me in my life, inculcated in me from my mother, my grandmother, and hopefully me now with our sons as well. Scott, what's one thing that you learned from volume one of Master Mentors that you deliberately included, emphasized, embellished in, in order to make it stronger in volume two? Wow. Probably this concept that vulnerability is a leadership competency. Dave Hollis is a famous author. He's the former spouse and business partner of the famous author, Rachel Hollis. She wrote the books, Girl, Wash Your Face and Girl, Stop Apologizing. Sold more books than anybody in the US other than Michelle Obama in 2019. Dave wrote a great book called Get Out of Your Own Way. 
Anyway, I think it was Dave that really brought vulnerability to the forefront. You and my dogs are having barking contests. I love it. I think that vulnerability is a parenting, spousal, friend, community member, leadership competency, just like hiring and firing and interviewing and having high courage conversations and managing a PL. Vulnerability, I'll say it again, is a leadership competency. The more you're able to own your mess, you make it safe for others to own theirs. The more you're able to talk about your strengths and your weaknesses, the more your team members feel comfortable doing the same. That is a theme in volume one, one of the chapters from Dave Hollis that I've brought forward in probably all of the 10 volumes. Volume two is published, coming out October 11th. Volume three is in the works right now. Very excited about the people I'm featuring in volume three. That will be a theme of all 10 of the Master Mentor book. In my conversations, and I'm sure yours as well, I think of multiple levels of learning. One thing I really loved about your Master Mentors books are the multiple levels of learning you embed in a book, such as the QR codes to videos and other resources. Now, I read the book, I went back through it for questions, but it wasn't until this morning, I'm gonna just be very honest about this, that I became curious about the QR codes and I scanned one. Guess which one I started with? It's the one in the chapter about Lena Renee, the author of Leading Loyalty, because you stated pretty strongly. You use language like, I command you, yes. I dare you <laughs> to watch this video on the hidden story. So I did, and wow, oh, I, I wept. I really cried. <laughs> Without giving away the experience, because each person listening to this must do this for yourself. We're going to link to it in the show notes, and it's in the book. We're going to show you exactly where it is in the book. Why do you think this video had a similar yeah. impact yeah. on me as it did for you and others who you've told to watch it? Yes. One of the silver linings of the COVID pandemic was that QR codes came back, right? They were dead. They were gone forever. And the COVID pandemic brought them back in restaurants. What I did in this book, and I'll do to all the books going forward is at the end of each chapter. Now keep in mind, this book is called Master Mentors, 30 Transformative Insights from Our Greatest Minds. I'm privileged to host this podcast called On Leadership with Scott Miller. In each book, I feature 30 guests from the podcast and one big idea from them. What I've done in each chapter is I've included the QR code that takes you right to the video episode of that entire interview. Each chapter has the QR code at the back that takes you to the interview of the podcast video. Then there are a couple of chapters where I include a couple of other QR codes because QR codes are back and I can and people will use them. And it takes you to a couple of other maybe vignettes on different videos that Franklin Covey might have included in some of our leadership leadership solutions. The one you're talking about is a video that we produce called The Hidden Story. And it's based on a solution around creating employee and customer loyalty and basically understanding that you don't know someone's full story. Everybody's got something going on. Everyone's got a teenage son who's vaping, a mother-in-law who's moving into dementia, a bill perhaps they can't pay. As a leader, as a friend, as a spouse, as a relative, as a neighbor, maybe be a little less judgmental. Maybe put a little space between what someone says to you and what you say back to them and say, I wonder what's going on there. I wonder why they're behaving that way. This isn't about me. This might not even be about them. And so I have included that video called The Hidden Story to help people become a little more forgiving, maybe even to pre-forgive other people. Because quite frankly, the statistics are that only 10% of the population are truly sociopaths. Only 10%. The other 90% of us are just living our life with huge pressures and imposter syndrome and bills we can't pay, and pressures in our life, and sometimes we react, we overreact. So I implore you to buy the book, watch the video, 
It's called Hidden Stories. It's in the chapter with Lena Renee. And like you, I think you can't get through it without having a profound impact on your humanity. Lena Renee is Master Mentor number 55 in volume two of Master Mentors. Scott, I'm going to add that to the quotes because life happens for you, not to you. Also, the fact that we get to do things, not that we have to do things, and that we don't know the hidden story with others. I think those are three great takeaways that we've discussed so far. Now, one of the toughest things about being interviewed for a book like Master Mentors, I imagine, is trying to mention everyone or make sure you don't leave anyone out when you talk about the book, right? As an author, you don't want to appear playing favorites like a dad. And the common, misunder- the common understanding and PR guidance would say to do that. Now, you, Scott Miller, take a bold stand and say right out there that the Ed Milet interview was your absolute favorite interview, hands down. You, you give it the coveted last chapter in your book. What makes you love this man and his story so much? Yeah, all these authors have funky names, right? Lena Renee, Ed Milet. Is a, he's a famous influencer. He's a very successful entrepreneur, has a television program coming out on NBC next year. I think it's a big social media influencer, number one bestselling book. Ed Milet, M-Y-L-E-T-T. If you've not Subscribe to his podcast or know who he is. You've got to follow Ed Milet. He shares this story on the podcast that is riotously funny. So for as tender and sensitive and introspective as the hidden story video is, this is the opposite, right? Ed shares a story that I cannot do justice to. But if you've not read the book, just buy the book so you can get the QR code to see Ed Milet tell this story of how back when he was in his 20s, he was leading a sales team and he was desperate to drive a Mercedes so that he looked successful. I'm still driving a Mercedes so that I look successful in my 50s. (laughs) I actually love Mercedes. But anyway, the story is riotously funny where he ended up buying a kit car. It was a Chrysler LeBaron. Now, everyone, listen to me carefully because what I'm going to tell you right now is inconceivable but factual. Ed wants to buy a Mercedes, but he cannot afford one. He's living in California. He finds a woman down in Laguna Beach that, according to Ed, was a little on hard luck. And she may or may not have been doing some substances. And she finds that she has what's called a kit car. These were big back in the 80s, a kit car, right? It was like a fake car. This woman had, I can't even tell the story without laughing. She had a Chrysler LeBaron with a Mercedes body Velcroed onto it. Not welded. Velcroed. And so you can imagine what happens when you pull up to a four-way intersection a little too fast when your car is Velcroed on. Stuff. The woman actually says to him, her parting words to him were, make sure that to slow down at a stoplight because you have to ease into it because crazy things. So I'm telling you, it's like the greatest story ever. He still ever goes told. through with it. And yeah, he disregards it. All of the car pops off, falls off. But that is the best part of the story. The best part of the story, which I'm not going to tell you, is what happens one day when he has all of his sales staff following him after a retreat. What happens with the police because his plates don't match the body of the car. The moral of the story is two things. One, if you just need like a life-changing belly laugh, buy the book, scan the code. I include the transcript in the book, but you've got to hear Ed telling it by scanning the QR code. But really the insight is we've all got a kit car in our life. We've all got stuff Velcroed on. What's your kit car? 
metaphorically. Are you willing to take the theme of vulnerability and laugh openly about your foibles, your challenges? And every time that you're vulnerable enough to talk about what your issues are, you give to someone else to talk about theirs. I'm so delighted that you mentioned both Lena Renee and Ed Milet. What great two bookends. Sorry, my dogs are having a, a wrestling behind me. I can't stop it. Understood. Understood. Just glad that mine is downstairs right now. It's great. Ed Milet really does express what it's like to be in his 20s like that. And just everyone can relate to wanting something just because you believe that it's going to help you achieve that level of outside respect, outside accomplishment. And Ed Milet is this enormously successful entrepreneur, fabulous wealth. And he also shares very openly that he and his wife once, I believe they had to move out of their home because they hadn't paid the power bill and the lights got turned off and they moved into a hotel for a few nights and he and his wife had to take showers poolside. Ed is, I'm getting emotional telling this story because I love Ed Milet. This is the power of being comfortable with your foibles, sharing your successes and sharing your messes in life. You got to read the book. The book is transformative. It's not my information. I'm just shining the spotlight and giving a platform to these amazing people that I think fairly episodically in the book, Chicken Soup for the Soul, right? Chapter one, chapter nine, chapter two, chapter 30, read in whatever order you want to. I think it can be transformative for where you are exactly in your life right now. It's something that's important to remember because it goes back to the hidden story. We don't know until we're curious and open to learning about how people got to where they are. Yeah. We don't know that there's this whole unglamorous side to people who we see as public successful figures oh. now, that they took showers poolside because they couldn't afford to be in their home. Bill, that is such a profound insight. I'm going to interrupt you. It is a consistent theme across every one of the podcasts. I'm always asked this question. So what's the red thread? What's the through line? What, what do they all have in common? What they all have in common is you don't have any idea how many TV pilots they auditioned for that never were made, how many books they wrote that were never published, how many businesses they went that failed. That for every big success, there was decades of toiling behind the scenes with massive failure, with just perseverance, kept going, believed in themselves until they made it. Decades, not weeks, not months, decades of their headlights popping off at intersections because they were Velcroed on. You've just identified the title for this episode, Scott. <laughs> that lesson is something that everyone can relate to, take away from, and hopefully learn to fuel your own desire, determination, and perseverance. Scott, tell me, what's something that's exciting in your business life right now? Right now, today, I'm flying to Croatia in about two hours to give a 45-minute keynote speech. <laughs> that means Salt Lake to Amsterdam to Zagreb, Zagreb to Dubrovnik, 45-minute speech, and then back to you. I'm home in about 70 hours or no, less than that, less than that. I get to go. I'm very grateful for the confidence that these publishers are placing in writing a book on how to become a mentor with HarperCollins. It's called the, I think it's called the ultimate guide to great mentoring. I'm writing a book about how to build a deliberate career coming out. Master Mentors Volume 3 will come out next year. We've got a lot of great things. My my boys are, and my wife's and I, my, our, our boys are Back in school, no masks. They're happy. They're healthy. They're learning. I'm just super grateful. Honest to goodness, Bill, I'm just grateful for all the knowledge that I've been able to absorb from all of these mentors on the podcast. Definitely impacted my life. And I'm privileged to be able to provide a platform in these books, audio, digital, print. My books are now all being produced in videos. 
So there's a company called Lit Video, where they're turning my books into 45-minute video books. It's called Lit Video Books. It's this amazing technology that's going to transform the publishing industry. And so my books now, you can also watch them over 45 minutes by going to litvideobooks.com. I have a lot of blessings to be grateful for. Scott, are you ready for the Mike Quest for the Best lightning round? Bring it on, brother. All right. So as a podcaster, I've got to ask you. When you do on leadership, what part of it do you enjoy the most? Oh, you stumped me because these podcasts like are intense. I do my best to read the guest's book in its entirety. If they have a book, I research them. I watch the videos. For every hour on the air, I probably spend four hours off preparing. It's a lot for a weekly podcast, as you know. I think it probably is the three or four minutes before we go live, where we're just like, if I don't know them, we're getting to know each other, we're laughing, we're building some rapport. And I know in a matter of two minutes, whether this is going to be a fun interview or like a serious interview, whether their publicist says they've got to be off in 28 minutes, or that was just a cover in case they hate the interview. And we go for 45 minutes because we had a good time. I think I like the four or five minutes where we're joking and laughing, getting to know each other before we go live. Oftentimes, maybe someday I'll share a blooper reel with their permission of all the fun laughing before we go on. Even there, if you're a big celebrity, Matthew McConaughey or Ariana Huffington or Deepak Chopra or big people, sometimes we get like instant rapport and a matter of words and we're laughing hysterically. We've never met before. It's a major celebrity or billionaire or entrepreneur. And sometimes it's all business. It's all business and it never actually becomes anything but business. And that's fine also. It's probably that three or four minutes before we go live. It's a great reminder how laughter is really the shortest distance between two people. Well said. In a world where there's not a lot to laugh about right now, I am still scarred. I just think genuinely, I know you have other questions. I'm scarred by the pandemic and the death and the carnage. I'm scarred by what's going on in the Ukraine. And there, it's tough. You've got to find things to laugh about. And it's okay to laugh. It's okay to yeah. cry. Absolutely. And it's where we choose to shine our light and our focus as to what we put attention on and can make a difference with at any given time. Scott, what would you say is the best $100 purchase that you've made in the last six months, not including Pepsis in Italy or lobster? Oh, definitely books. I'm a voracious reader. I don't tend to watch movies. I think I've watched four movies in my entire life. And three of them were the Austin Powers trilogy. So that tells you what my movie taste is, right? I love Austin Powers. And to my wife's horror, I let the boys watch them. So you know what that's about now in the house. It would be every book that I buy. I've read some amazing books the last couple of weeks. I tend to only read nonfiction. I tend to only read personal development books. That's what I'm passionate about. So it would be one of the 30 books I've bought in the last month. What does the standard of transformational, as in a transformational relationship, yeah. mean to you? Yeah, it's a big, bold word, isn't it? And when I wrote this book, the subtitle for Master Mentors was 30 Transformative Insights from Our Greatest Mind. It's a big promise. But I'll tell you, I think some of the simplest things can be transformative. You know, where you are in your marriage, perhaps you've just come out of a marriage, perhaps you've just been terminated in a job, perhaps you've just failed at a business, perhaps you've lost someone you love, perhaps you've got a side hustle, you're thinking about quitting your day job. Depending upon where you are in your life, I think some of the simplest things can be transformative. So I was not daunted by the promise because if I found it transformative, I thought, you know what? Maybe most people will too because of my own career. And I've had access to some remarkable insights along my way. So I just think level set your expectations and recognize there will be something in this book that you will find transformative based on where you are in your life right now. I'm confident of it. If not, I'll give you your money back. I'll ship you your $14. <laughs> it's important because transformative relationships does set an expectation. And when you say that it's going to, these have been transformative relationships, you're putting it out there that people who are looking for that, who are open to that, 
who are saying, look, it's not going to happen without effort. I've got to read this. I've got to absorb it. I've got to evaluate how it matters in my life and what I'm going to do as a result. But every chapter in this book, maybe almost every page, has something in there that if you're ready for that shift in your mindset, perspective, tool, inspiration, you'll find enormous value in what you've shared. Bill, that's gracious of you. Let's be serious. I write easy, breezy reads, right? I'm not writing Good to Great or Built to Last by Jim Collins. I think I'm sufficiently skilled as a leader and entrepreneur after 30 years in a global leadership company, but I write simple, easy to read books. I write books that you can take to bed at night, read for 12 minutes, have a chapter, think about it and go to sleep and start the next day on a new chapter. I also tell you that Voltaire, my good friend Voltaire said, I believe it was Voltaire said, common knowledge isn't common practice. And it was Stephen Covey that said to know, but not to do is not to know. So in many ways, these books are homespun wisdom that most of us knew but forgot or you needed to be reminded of. And that's the purpose of the books. I'm very proud of how unintellectual these books are. I think they're solid. They've transformed my life. And I think they will provide the reader 30 insights that, to your quote, you can have a transformative impact on the most important thing in their life, which are their relationships with others. Yeah. And it's important to recognize that that is transformative. It's a great choice because what you do is you put stories around these ideas and stories dwell in our hearts, not just our minds. So it's the story of Ed's headlight rolling off in the intersection that we're all going to be remembering. It's the story of what happens when you think about people's hidden stories. It's really powerful that you chose this vehicle to do this. Thank you, Bill. I try not to make the book about me. I've shared a lot of stories about me in there, but I share stories about others also. I hope that the reader doesn't think that all the stories are about me. When I thought there was a story in my life that could be beneficial to somebody else, I told the story. I did not tell stories about me in the hopes of making the book about me at all. This may be previewing your next book, but I'm interested in what your thoughts are now about mentorship and what can or can't people learn from a mentor in your experience? Gosh, I think you can learn an infinite amount from mentoring, from being a mentor, from being mentored. Mentoring is different than coaching, right? Mentoring really is about not trying to turn someone into a mini version of you, a mini me, to quote Austin Powers. But as a mentor, help the other person understand what is it they're trying to do? What are they trying to accomplish? So as a mentee, I think part of your job is to get clear on what am I trying to accomplish with my skills, my fears, my passions, my inhibitions, my talents, my education, my resources. Then go find people who can help unleash that in you. They can help uncover it so you can discover it. I'm elated about Master Mentors Volume 3. Think about these people. James Clear, who wrote Atomic Habits. Ryan Serhant, Sophia Amoroso, Emmanuel Acho, Grant Cardone, John Acuff, Mel Robbins, Camilla McConaughey, Matthew McConaughey's wife, Ariana Huffington, Adam Grant. It's a power-packed group. Volume 3 is going to knock the other two off their socks. I'm very excited about Volume 4. So every year I'll be releasing one of these. I hope that people will read all the volumes. I'm telling you right now, I'm selling more volume one than I am volume two because people are saying, gosh, I got to read the first one. So I'm hoping to keep out doing myself. When I say myself, to highlight even more and more influential mentors along the road. Along the what would be two or three resources you'd recommend until your books are out? Books, training, podcasts, other experts to learn from and follow on the topic of mentorship. Self-servingly, I'm releasing a book in the summer of 2023 called The Ultimate Guide to Great Mentoring. Identified 15 roles 
that I think mentors play, prescribe when and how to indicate this role. I think if you're looking for a mentor, start asking around. But first, be clear on what it is you want to accomplish. What is it you're trying to do? Because that's not the mentor's job is to help you decide that. It's their calling to help you accomplish that by asking big, bold questions and confronting reality and pushing on you when perhaps you're delusional or need some focus. So I think the first part of getting a great mentor is being very clear on what is it you're trying to accomplish and then going to find someone that has expertise in their, in that area, expertise at succeeding or expertise at failing. And so they can help to guide you as well too. Lots of books on mentoring. If you just start to read the books of the people that I've highlighted in my book, that's the real reason why I wrote Master Mentors is because although I loved their interview in the podcast, I loved their book in most cases. Now, not all of them have a book, but most of them have many books. If you want a reading list, I give you a great reading list throughout the book to say, read this book, read that book. If I say read a book, I'm pretty uncredible, meaning I'm not credible on movie recommendations as evidenced by our conversation, but I got some chops when it comes to reading great books and recommending them. So if you want a great reading list for the next year, buy my book, read through it. You'll pick up a half dozen books that will transform your life. Scott Miller, I appreciate you and your contributions on my quest for the best. We've gone through the three big mindset shifts that we mentioned earlier, that life happens for you, not to you, and that you get to do things, you don't have to do things. And then the third one being, you don't know people's stories. So be open and be curious about what's going on for others. We talked about so many examples of how you can learn from mentors and learn from them. We've heard about the different stories from Ed Milet purchasing a car that was a kit car that just hilarious things happened, but it showed us to be vulnerable and open with our stories as an example of being able to learn from other people's stories and their expressions. We learned that there's an interesting service out there with lit video, what's the name, lit video books? Lit video books to learn about videos and get that knowledge distilled down into a 45 minute video as a way to supplement the knowledge of reading or listening to the whole audio. And for these reasons and so many more, Scott, you shared your wisdom, your experience and knowledge with us and helped us on our path of our quest for the best. Thank Before you. we say goodbye for now, Scott, where can we find out more about you and your work online? You can visit scottjeffreymiller.com. All of my Inc. magazine columns are there. All the podcasts are there. All the books are there. My Ignite Your Genius career coaching course is there. Scott, we're going to link to scottjeffreymiller.com as well as places to buy the book, your social media, as well as your course. So people find it super easy to go to the show notes and then find your resources there and keep up with your travels, keep up with your knowledge, keep up with your interviews on your podcast. Scott Jeffrey Miller, author of Master Mentors Volume 2, with more to come. I want to thank you once again for joining me on my quest for the best. Thank you, Bill. Have a great af afternoon. Hi, this is Bill, and I hope you've enjoyed this podcast interview on my quest for the best. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or your favorite app so you never miss an episode full of stories, tips, and insights for the ambitious small business leader. Now I have a quick request for you. Please go to Apple Podcasts and iTunes and give us a rating and review. My team and I really appreciate the feedback and we read every comment to find out what you enjoy and what you want as we develop new content, course materials, and a few surprises that we have in store for you. When you rate and review my quest for the best, you help other small business leaders find us, subscribe to the podcast, and join the community. You can get the Insider's e-newsletter for small business leaders by going to myquestforthebest.com. 
We have chosen a challenging path to make a living and make a difference in the world, and I believe it's important to share top-notch resources with each other, which is why you'll find new episodes from top thought leaders and small business experts on my quest for the best each week. Thanks for listening and being part of the community. See you on the next episode.